If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Avantika Chilkoti, host of the Modi Raj, a new podcast from The Economist. Narendra Modi has watched over a period of rapid growth in India, but he's also the front man for a chauvinistic Hindu nationalism. Now, he's eyeing another term as Prime Minister. What will it mean for India and the world? I've been trying to get inside his head. Listen now to the Modi Raj from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Heineken Silver. When you discover something you love, like a new podcast or beer, you have to tell everyone about it. So when you try new Heineken Silver, a world-class light beer with only 2.9 carbs and 95 calories, you'll want to tell the world how great it is. New Heineken Silver, the world-class light beer with all the taste, no bitter endings. Available at your local Heineken retailer or for delivery at heineken.com silver. Must be 21 plus to purchase. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ali Cawthorn. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to Catherine Bailey, the author of Faye's War, the true story of a mother, her missing sons and the plot to kill Hitler. It's an account of the traumatic repercussions experienced by the family of Ulrich von Hassel, one of the conspirators behind the 20th of July plot to kill Hitler in 1944. Our world history editor, Matt Elton, caught up with Catherine to find out more. So your new book is called Phase War. For people who might not know, who is the title character and uh, what stage do we find you at the start of the book? Well, of course, Faye is is the central character of the book, but the man who lies at the heart of it, uh, a man of extraordinary moral courage, is her father, Ulrich von Hassel. He was a uh, Prussian aristocrat and a diplomat, um, but what makes him so compelling is that he was one of the few high-ranking Nazis to join the German resistance at the very start of the war. During the 30s, he'd been Germany's ambassador to Italy. He had close ties with Hitler. But Kristallnacht, the the Nazis' pogrom against the Jews, was a a turning point for him. 
And it was then that he uh, joined a, 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 an elite group of conspirators who, whose mission was to kill the Fuhrer. When their plot goes wrong and they're rounded up by the Gestapo, uh, it, it has devastating consequences for his daughter Faye and his two young grandsons. The boys are seized by the SS. Uh, they're just two and four years old at the time, and, and they're taken to a, a Nazi orphanage uh, where they're given new identities. And for Faye, this is the start of a terrifying journey through Europe's concentration camps as, as, as she struggles to, to stay alive. She has no idea whether she will ever see the boys again. I mean, it's a remarkable story. Um, and one that I really didn't know very much about before I read your book. Um, if we go back to the start of the story, how old was uh, Faye and how old were her children? Well, Faye was, was 25 years. Uh, she was 25 when, when the boys were taken from her. They, they were just two and four years old. And at the time, she was living in a beautiful castle in the, in the north of Italy. It was in Friuli, just about 50 miles east of Venice, and it belonged to her husband, Totalmo, who whose family had owned it since the 13th century. When the SS turned up at the castle to arrest Faye and the children, Totalmo wasn't there. After the Nazis had invaded the north of Italy in September 1943, he had joined the Italian resistance and he was in hiding in Rome. Faye could have gone there to be with him, but she decided not to because her priority was the children and, and she wanted to protect them. She loved them more than anyone else. So she decided to stay at the castle because she thought it would be the safest place for the boys. Did, I mean, did her German status lend her any degree of safety or lack of social sort of uh, uh, kind of abuse, I suppose, before this happened? Faye sort of unwittingly became caught up in, in, in the Nazi machine. She, after Hitler's troops invaded the north of Italy, um, the uh, a division of the Luftwaffe occupied the castle. They took it over. And she was placed in an awkward position because she'd, she'd spent most of her life in Italy and, and saw herself really as Italian, but she was in fact German by birth. And... To begin with, she thought, you know, she'd grown up at, at uh, in in Rome when her father was ambassador there. And to begin with, when the Germans occupied occupied the castle, she thought that she might be able to use her her her, her Germanness to help the locals to prevent them from being persecuted in any way by the Germans. Um, but at the same time, because of the boys, uh, she had to you know, welcome the, the German occupiers. So so the Italians thought that she was collaborating with the Germans um, and she was placed in a very awkward position because the Germans wanted her to tell them where partisans were hiding um, and any other information which related to the, the Italian resistance who were trying to, um, who were obviously attacking the Germans during that time. Okay. I mean, does her ability to to do that, to be able to kind of walk the line so well, tell us anything about her personality? And indeed, what did you learn about her personality in the course of writing this book? Well, she was, I mean, to begin with, she was a, a young mother, um, 
slightly naive because she'd been spent her war in this idyllic place, uh, which was, which, which until that moment had been untouched by the war. But um, as as her story progresses through the book, you just you you just have to marvel at her her courage and she one for, you first see this when the germans are in occupation at the castle because she could have actually Dutamo had arranged for her to go to if if needs be to some relatives in the south but she chose but she chooses to stay there because not only uh does she think still think it's the safest place for the children but she wants to protect Dutamo's employees the italian the contadini the peasant farmers on the land who have worked for his family for generations. And so she does things like ask um, the SS leader to tea, who was who, who was one of the most brutal men. He'd killed some 5,000 Poles uh, when, the, when the Nazis had swept through Eastern Europe and was now the chief SS man in Udine, the nearby town. And she actually ask this man whether he will uh, uh, suspend the sentence of an Italian resistance man who's been caught by the SS. So she's she's very courageous, and um, uh, and that obviously continues as as all these terrible terrible things happen to her. Mm. And and she suffers through so much, not least of course the fact that her, her children were taken from her. I mean. Did that happen with no warning? What were the events of the 27th of September 1944? Well, what was so incredibly cruel about it, but hardly surprising since it was an operation, um, you know, instigated by the SS. When, when when when, when, When the SS officers turn up at the castle, Faye is told that she and the boys are just wanted for routine questioning and that they must go to Innsbruck, which was, you know, not not that far away, Innsbruck in Austria. And when she gets there, to her amazement, she's put up in a luxury hotel in the centre of the town. And she and the boys are allowed to play in the garden at the back of the hotel. They get given lots of food. And she assumes that the next day she'll be going home after she's had a, an interview with with uh, the SS at their headquarters, uh, but even before that interview happens, two SS women turn up at the hotel and forcibly seize the children, and Faye is then taken to Innsbruck prison, where she stays for three weeks before beginning this horrendous journey through Europe. Mm. Um. Why was she moved so many times, and to what kind of place was she moved? Well, I think we have to go back first to the 20th of July plot, the 20th of July 1944 plot, because because that was the plot that her father had been indirectly involved with, and it was why he was arrested and, and subsequently executed. And it was the bomb plot where Klaus von Stauffenberg had, had planted a bomb in a briefcase under a desk where Hitler was holding a military briefing, and it came very, very close to killing him. After that had failed, 
Hitler vowed revenge on, on the plotters, but not just the plotters, on their families as well. And Himmler, in order to do this, came up with a, a, a medi- revived a, a medieval law called Sippenhaft, which meant blood guilt. In, in other words, the relatives of the plotters were as guilty as, as the plotters themselves. And in the three months after the 20th of July, hundreds of relatives were rounded up, um, grandparents, wives, cousins. And this, and that was why Faye and the boys uh, that were, were also taken. All these prisoners are Himmler's personal prison, prisoners. And as the war goes on, he reckons or he decides that they could be possibly used as hostages to save his own skin. And for this reason, he corrals them through Europe because he needs to protect them. As the Russians advance, they need to be moved on. And this was why Faye and the group of prisoners she was with were moved endlessly from the northeast of Germany into the centre and back, and then finally to the Alps. We should talk a bit about the kind of people that she was imprisoned with. Um, who did she meet while she was held captive? And did she strike up particular friendships with any of those people uh, more than others? Among these special prisoners of Himmler, there were uh, European um, politicians, um, leading church figures like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, that they were also members of uh, of Europe's royal families, and they they were an incredibly tight group because they were all together being moved constantly, and they were kept in in conditions of great secrecy in the middle of 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 uh, places like Buchenwald and Dachau, and. During this time, Faye fell in love with one of her fellow prisoners, who was the brother of of Klaus von Stauffenberg, Alex von Stauffenberg. Um, And what kind of conditions were they held in? Well, the the special prisoners were held, as I said, in in conditions of great secrecy, but they were also comparatively privileged. Um, So they were given extra rations and... Uh, they they weren't subjected to cruelty, but as as Faye wrote in her account of her of her time, they they, they witnessed the unimaginable brutality of of or sadism of, of the Nazi regime. They saw she saw witnesses and executions. She saw people being setting off on forced marches, the death marches. As the as the Nazis were moving labor, you know the workforce to work in armament factories in the West, and she smelt the the the, the smell of, of burning bodies from the pyres that uh, the the Nazis constructed to burn the dead. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. There, there are just so many characters. I mean, I think the book, the, the book is a devastating account of personal sacrifice. You see the very best and the very worst of human nature 
and it's a reminder of, of how fine that balance is between good and evil. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For some context, what was happening in the wider war during the time of her captivity? She was, um, she, her captivity began in, in October 1944. And, and she was held with this group of prisoners by the SS until uh, the end of the war in Europe, until May. And at that time, the Russians were advancing from the east very rapidly and so that area within, so the Reich was shrinking and there were just, you know, the the, the, the chaos was unimaginable. I mean, as, as they're moved from camp to camp, Faye and the others get caught up in a tide of, of something like a million refugees. And these were people who were fleeing from the Russians in the east, from countries, from formerly occupied countries like Hungary, Poland, and their situation was the situation of these people is the the sort of the collateral damage of of the war is so stark in their stories they're mostly women and children um they have had everything taken away from them their homes their livelihoods their loved ones and within this this body of refugees moving through europe are of course the uh, concentration camp inmates who are who who are being moved by the Germans to be used as a labor force, and and this was a time of um, terrible forced marches where uh, in in freezing temperatures, and the SS just simply shot anybody who who couldn't keep up with these marches. What events led to her eventual freedom from this captivity? Well, even up until the very last. Uh, Faye and the other prisoners were still at risk. Himmler was absolutely determined to use them in negotiations with the Allies. And so at the end of April 1945, he moved them to the Alps, uh, to a hotel in the Alps. And this, of course, was one of the last, it was one of the last strongholds, one of the last of the Nazi strongholds. And a lot of, a lot of, senior men in the Nazi regime were, were fleeing there. And even when they're in that hotel and the war is over, Himmler has sent special SS death squads to kill them. They were ultimately saved because in the last days of April, there were uh, 45. Let's just keep it simple. The Allies were tipped off that this group of special prisoners were holed up in a hotel and the, the US Army was was dispatched to, to rescue them. Given the extent of the displaced people that you've described, 
how how did she possibly go about finding these children who'd been taken from her? Well, when the war came to an end, the, the, the boys could have been anywhere. They had false names. Uh, they were aged, well, they, they were three and, and five then. And of course, they they didn't know who they were. But there was a chance that possibly Corrado, the eldest boy, could remember his, his real name. Uh, but Faye had no idea how they'd been treated, you know, whether trauma had obliterated any memory he had of who he really was. And um, not only that, Faye herself could not set out to find the boys after she was released uh, from prison. And this was because there were very strict travel travel restrictions on uh, Italians. They couldn't go more than 10 kilometres from their home. So she was in this awful position where she couldn't set out to find her boys. And at the time, the the task of, of reuniting children with their relatives was in the hands of the Allies. And that they, they were prioritising when they were looking through children's homes or, or dealing with children who'd been found at the side of the road or railway lines, they were prioritising Jewish children and Germanized children. And Germanized children were the children who'd been stolen or by the SS um, to be raised as true Aryans. So it was a deeply traumatic time for Faye. There was, there was nothing she could do. And, and so she... She and her husband, Talmud, made lots of posters which they circulated to all authorities, to the Red Cross, to the Vatican, to all arms of of, um, the Allied administration in Central Europe. But there was nothing. And what was extraordinary was was that it was actually Faye's mother, uh, who was in Germany, uh, who who sets out to search for the boys. And that's a very interesting aspect of the book because obviously you know, a mother's love is an extraordinarily strong bond, but that bond that exists between a grandmother and her grandchildren is also very strong. Um, there's some remarkable characters in this book. Were there any that for you stood out or perhaps that you saw in a new light? Well, as you say, I mean, there there are just so many characters. I mean, I think the book the the book is a devastating account of personal sacrifice. You see the very best and the very worst of human nature, and it's a reminder of of how fine that balance is between good and evil. And I suppose on on the evil side, it was the political officer at the castle who betrayed Faye and the boys to the SS, who who was just the most horrific man. His his job was to instill Nazi ideology into the airmen, but he he didn't have to give give them away. And in fact, in the in the run up to that time, he'd been incredibly close to the boys. He he'd let them ride in 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 the airmen's trucks. He'd allowed. Corrado, the eldest boy, to play with his telephone. So it makes it makes his betrayal doubly worse. 
Um, and then, of course, Ulrich von Hassel, his courage was was really inspirational. I mean, he, when after the plot fails, he could have run away. He, as, as many as 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 a number of the plotters did, but he thought it was dishonourable to flee, so he just stayed at his desk in Berlin, waiting for the Gestapo to come and get him. Um, what has happened to the boys during all this time? And did it leave any sort of permanent uh, lasting damage on them, I suppose? Well, we know very little about... Uh, well, there are no written records of what their life was like at the Nazi orphanage. These were all destroyed at the end of the war by the people who'd who'd been employed there. Um, there is the account of, of one woman, and it seems that actually they were relatively well treated. So when the war ended, the SS officials who'd, who'd been in charge of the orphanage destroyed all the records. So there is no record of how the children were treated, and indeed, in many instances, of, of what happened to them. How did you go about researching this story? There were some absolutely incredible records uh, at the castle initially, the family castle initially. Faye kept a, a diary throughout her time. She wrote up an account of her experiences at the end of the war, which was when she when she was reunited with Detelma, which was a it was a kind of form of therapy for her because at that point the children were missing and it, it was something she also wanted, having been so having had such a dramatically different experience during the war to that of her husband, it was a way of of trying to rebuild her marriage again. So there were some wonderful sources there. Faye, Faye wrote letters all her life. Ulrich von Hassel kept a diary, and and that is a remarkable document. I mean, it, it offers a terrifying glimpse as to what it was like to be in clandestine opposition in wartime Berlin. And there are also uh, a lot of military and intelligence records that I was able to consult. Uh, the records of belonging to SOE agents who were parachuted behind the lines into the north of Italy and who worked with the partisans and which give us a glimpse of what life was like during those during that time and, and, and the risks they faced. Are there any uh, areas that you weren't able to find out information uh, and perhaps if you could ask a question of someone involved in this story what would you like to ask? Really the gaping hole in 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 the research were the records relating to the orphanage where the boys were held. And I actually went to Austria uh, to visit the place, which is a, was high up in the Alps outside in Innsbruck. And even today, people, I found people were tight-lipped about what had gone on in the war because, of course, many of their ancestors had had worked at that orphanage and knew what had, what had happened there. But it was impossible to to find out details of how the children were treated and and what their lives were like, uh, because these records were destroyed at the end of the war. 
Um, and finally, why do you think this story is an important one and why does it deserve to be better known? The story is is heartbreaking and and horrifying. As I said, it's a it's a devastating account of personal sacrifice. But it's also a very uplifting story and, and to be reminded of such selfless courage and such integrity for me when I was writing it was was inspirational. So I hope that's what readers will take away from the book. Um how how did Faye come to terms with all of this trauma and all of these really horrible events that she's had to suffer through? Well, I think her conscience haunted her for the rest of her life. I mean, like like so many survivors of the camp, she's she suffered from survivor's guilt. And particularly because, as she wrote, in, in, in her case, her, her experience had been comparatively mild. And I think her affinity with the victims of, of the Holocaust and her need to answer the unanswerable question why led her to read many memoirs written by survivors after the war. And Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, an account of his imprisonment at Auschwitz and other camps, became a touchstone for her, so much so that until she died, she would pin quotes from the work on on her desk. Um, And I think in her private struggle to come to terms with, with, with her own experiences, forgiveness was one of her central tenets, she she viewed her suffering as a an, an intrinsic part of her destiny and felt that it should be taken as it came without bitterness or, or vengeance. That was Catherine Bailey. Her book, Faye's War, The True Story of a Mother, Her Missing Sons and the Plot to Kill Hitler, is available now, published by Penguin. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman.